Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Right, everyone, take your Bibles. Open up to Genesis, Book of Genesis, um, and we had some notes. Did we? Uh, do we still have more of those or not? Did we run out of those? We still have more. Did anyone not get a set of sermon notes that wants one? If you if you want one, just put your hand up, and we'll get you one. I gotta untether myself. Oh yes. Check, 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 check. Ah. If you've been around me for any amount of time, you know I can't be tethered. I cannot be tethered to one space. It's just not me. Okay, Genesis. Genesis chapter 11, okay? Genesis chapter 11. And um, we have, if you're joining us, oh, thank you very much. Y'all are the best. <clears throat> now, if you're just joining us, we have uh, we started in July, started going through the book of Genesis. So we started chapter one, and we're going to go all the way, not today, okay? But we're going to go all the way to the end of Genesis, through Genesis 50, all right? And uh, just to bring you up to speed on what has transpired thus far, thus far, Adam and Eve were created in God's image in the garden, and they were given a choice to walk and live in obedience to the Lord, And obey really just one command. Don't eat of this tree. Enjoy God's creation. Don't eat of this tree. They disobeyed the Lord. Sin enters the world. Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. They have two sons named Cain and Abel. And uh, Cain ends up killing his brother Abel over his Abel's sacrifice being accepted. Cain's is not accepted. And uh, from there, sin continues to run rampant in the world. And that brings us to the age and day of Noah. And Noah uh, found favor in the eyes of the Lord when the rest of the world, uh, every Genesis says every thought was continually evil. Every single thought of man was continually evil. And so God calls Noah in the midst of this wickedness of the world to walk in obedience and build an ark. And Noah faithfully walks in obedience to the Lord, builds the ark. The earth is flooded, and Noah and his family, his three sons and their wives, were spared. And then the the floodwaters settle, the earth is dry, and God gives the command to Noah and his family, go and multiply on the earth, you and all of the animals that were spared from the flood. All right? That brings us to when last week we talked about how easy it is for us to fall back into a pattern of disobedience as we see Noah do as he became drunk and uh, ended up just making a fool of himself and then uh, cursed Canaan, which was the son of his son Ham, and uh, that 
continues, this pattern continues, and we see ongoing struggle on the world to simply walk in obedience to the Lord. Now, the reason I give you that rundown of Genesis 1 through where we're going to pick up in chapter 11 is because there is this overwhelming theme of obedience and the call to obedience in Genesis, and it sets the tone for the rest of your Bibles. Um, So everyone say obedience. This is a big piece of Genesis and the the importance that we grasp this concept. And you're going to see this same same principle play out as we shift gears now and introduce a man named Abram. All right. Now, in chapter 11 of uh, uh, in Genesis, chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 27, I want to read just a, a section here, 27 to 32. So if you have your Bibles, follow along. Genesis 11, 27 through 32, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah, Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur, everyone say Ur, Ur of the Chaldeans, to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, real quick, I I want this... This paints a picture of Abram's background. And specifically, I want you to note or just mentally note or if you're taking notes and jot this down that Abram originated here in Ur of the Chaldeans. Um, Now, one important key to note is that uh, Abram did not grow. This is a common misconception. Abram did not grow up in a home of faithful followers of God. And the, where we can identify that is actually in Joshua 24.2. In Joshua 24.2, it says, uh, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So an interesting note here is that in the scope of what was taking place in Ur of the Chaldeans, they were... They were idol worshippers. Okay, these is not a grouping of faithful people, which gives you a little more uh, interesting background to this man named Abram. Okay, so in the scope of this, Terah leads the charge here out of Ur, and they set out for this land of uh, Canaan, as we see in verse uh, thirty-one. And so this begins a journey uh, where Abram really didn't know what was coming. He had no idea what was coming. Um, now, you may be wondering, we jumped over this whole genealogical section in chapter 11, verses 10 through 26. And uh, I'd encourage you to read through that. And what this does is it brings up the value in tracing back Abraham's family to Shem, okay, the son of Noah. This is where you see all of this take place and even align with the promise that God made in Genesis 3 that he would ultimately bring redemption through the offspring of the woman that we know as Eve. 
Okay? And we see God's faithfulness to continue fulfilling this promise, even as we work through into the life of Abram. Now, on your note sheet, you'll notice there's a main idea for today. That is, if you get absolutely nothing else out of today, I really want you to grab hold of that idea that the most direct path to God's blessing in your life is walking in obedience to God's commands for your life. Okay? The most direct path for us to experience the blessings of the Lord is to walk in obedience to the commands of the Lord. Now, when I say blessing there, I'm not meaning that somehow to experience God giving you everything you've ever wanted. That's not what I'm saying. And in fact, in First and Second Peter in the New Testament, it actually says you should be prepared to suffer with joy for the sake of Jesus. So there's a contrast here to what we might identify as blessing in our American westernized world and what scripture identifies as blessing. Nevertheless, in the midst of this, the most direct path to God's blessing is walking in obedience to the Lord's commands for your life. Now, let's look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 1 through 4. It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. I want to hear your best here. I'm going to count to three and I want you to give me your best go. Okay. All right. Here we go. One, two, three. Good. That was great. Go from your country and your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, understand here the the first blank, if you're filling out the notes that you were handed is boldly walk in obedience to God's call. God gives Abram this instruction, go from your country and just set out. He doesn't give him a destination at this time. He doesn't clarify where he's going. He just says, go. And Abraham simply obeys. He simply steps out and obeys in faith. Boldly walk in obedience to God's call. Leaving everything that he has ever known and simply following God's command in life. Also, note here how many times God says in this promise to Abraham, I will, I will show you, I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse. Uh, the, the, the focus here is on what God is going to do through Abram, not what Abram's going to accomplish on his own. These I will statements bring it back to this reality that it is God who works through us, not us who works somehow and brings about things that are pleasing to the Lord. We have to be willing to simply walk in obedience to the will of God, knowing that he's the one who will do the work, not us on our own. Okay. now let's look at verse seven. Okay, Abraham went as the Lord had commanded him. We're going to jump to verse seven. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on still going towards Negeb. 
Now, the highlight here is we continue to track with Abram's journey in obedience and faithfulness is that we see Abram multiple times here in verse 7 through 9 that he stops, he builds an altar, and he worships the Lord. He actually takes time to do this. So the second blank on your sheets, if you're filling that in, what I worship reveals where my trust is. And what we see in the life of Abram here is that his trust is evidently in the one who has called him to action. And it's seen by how he pauses in the midst of his journey to worship the Lord, to seek the Lord, and to approach it from this direction of saying, I want to continue to to reaffirm that my trust is here and not in myself. Where What I worship reveals where my trust is. Trust is. Now, we can go back to last week and look at the life of Noah and go, we are always in danger of walking in disobedient to, disobedience to God's commands. Um, we have to choose to worship and obey God in all of life. That's a daily choice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, it's not easy, especially in the world we live in, to step back and Take the time to worship and trust the Lord when things are not going the way you want them to go. When we face trial, when we face challenge, when we face hardship, when we look around or you read the news or you watch these things taking place, it's really easy for me to go, oh my goodness, there's no hope. There is no sturdy ground to stand on. I am in this pile of anxiety just waiting for something to change for the better. The problem with that is we're promised from Scripture that the world is not going to get better until Jesus comes back. It's going to get worse. And sometimes we end up showing that we worship our culture and the world we live in simply because uh, that's what we have placed our trust in. And what I place my trust in is inevitably what I will end up worshiping, whether I am actively recognizing that I'm doing that or not. So what you... How, how might you identify what you, what you worship? Well, where does uh, most of your time go? Where does uh, most of your resources go? Where do you focus and fix your eyes? That's probably the most evident determining factor. Where do you fix your eyes? When things get hard and challenging, where do you turn first? Do you turn to your own ability? Do you turn to your own understanding? Or do you turn to the Lord? These are things we have to think through and understand the most direct path to God's blessing in my life is walking in obedience to God's commands for my life. Now, from an outside perspective, Abram seems to be rocking this. He's doing really well. He's trusting the Lord. He's worshiping the Lord. He's walking in faith. He's walking in obedience to God's commands. He seems to have it. Oftentimes, we feel the same way about our church family, our own life of faith. But the question remains, once again, how will we respond when trial comes? Let's see how Abram responds. We're going to jump to verse 10 of chapter 12. It says, now there was a famine in the land. I'm going to read that again, and I want you to go, uh-oh. All right, here we go. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now, pause here, guys, for a second. We can momentarily take a note from Abram where Abram goes, dear, you are gorgeous. You are absolutely stunning. 
Now, if he had stopped there, we probably could have given him a pat on the back. Nice job, Abram. Good on you. This is good. Okay? Guys, there's never a bad time to compliment your wife. Okay? If they, it's just not. So, there's a, that's a side note for you. Okay? In verse 12, it says, And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So here's Abram's conjured up solution to this in verse 13. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, honestly, this is so selfish. On so many levels, right? Here in the midst of a famine, they're seeking refuge in a different place. And they get ready to come in here and Abram's anxious. My wife is beautiful and this is, this is gonna have the possibility that it doesn't go well for me. I'm concerned that my life might end and uh, so you know what be best? I'm, I'm gonna put my wife in the precarious situation instead so that my life will be spared. Come on. Now, here's what happens in verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me that she was your wife? Why did not you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now here's the formula we see, okay? Famine plus strange land equals Abram taking matters into his own hands. Trial often results in our own taking over of the situation. The third and final blank on your sheet. Trust the Lord in every season. How easy it can be to trust God with certain aspects of our life and then utterly abandon that trust in immediate circumstances that come up unexpectedly. Whether it is trials or unexpected road bumps, we are most prone to try and take control in those situations that we least expect to come. And the ironic thing about that is in the seasons when we really need to trust God most, we often trust Him the least. And I think this is evidenced oftentimes by how we treat broader things that are outside of our control. Um, We saw a big piece of this a couple years ago when we stepped into a season of unknowns and we really tested the faith of many who sought, what is my faith really in? Where, where is my trust place? And how are we going to navigate that? How are we going to do this with our eyes still fixed on Jesus and what he has done for us? And there's still ripple effects of that that we're dealing with. Um, but it's not just that. Some of you sitting in this room have experienced grave and immediate sudden loss. And not necessarily just loss of life, but it might be loss of a job or a, a, a child that has moved, moved out of the house. Or maybe you've stepped into your, the, the season of life that you're empty nesters. And 
Uh, maybe it's a marriage that has crumbled. Maybe it's a friendship, a relationship that's crumbled. Maybe it's a financial burden that has cropped up and all of a sudden you find yourself in a bad place and you don't know what's, what, what's going to happen. At the end of the day, those are the seasons where we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, do I trust the Lord with everything or do I only trust the Lord when things are going the way I want them to go? It's really easy for us to walk in faith when we, we can see kind of the road and we go, I really like the scenery. I really like how this looks. This is a pretty drive. It's a whole other thing when you're on a dirt road in the back in the middle of nowhere without four-wheel drive. And you go, what do I do? How do I do this? And I want to encourage you to trust the Lord in every season. And that means be in the word to know what God has promised and what he hasn't promised. It means be in community with other people so that when you are in a rough season, they come alongside and they say, we're with you. We're going to walk through this. Be faithful to come together and be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus and recognize that this place on earth is not our home. So my application question for you in closing is this. What stands in the way of you walking in full obedience to the Lord? What stands in the way? Some of you, I believe, are making are faced with decisions you've got to make right now between things that are potentially going to take you further away from the Lord and things that will move you closer to the Lord. What's keeping you from walking in obedience to the Lord? Some of you here may have never actually made a decision to follow after Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, what stands in the way? Is it your own ability? Is it your own strength? I'm going to tell you, there's going to come a day when that will cease to exist. There will come a day, whether it's soon or in the future, where you realize, wow, I am weak and I'm unable to do. If your identity is found in anything that is not eternal, you will find those days some of the most discouraging and depressing because you realize your identity was in something that does not last. At the end of the day, What stands in the way of you walking in full obedience to the Lord? Full obedience begins with us saying, I'm going to commit to surrender to Jesus. I'm going to follow after him. I'm going to trust him. And then whatever comes my way, I'm going to turn back around and I'm going to say, whatever my lot, thou has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Because I possess the very hope that is eternal. And it's not temporary. Amen? So, I want to pray for us. And then uh, uh, we're going to transition to hearing some real life testimonies and stories of God's transformative work. And uh, we're going to get ready to baptize some people. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the joy you've given us in Christ. The hope you've given us. Father, I pray that as we consider these things now that we would... Uh, root further into your word and the promises uh, that you've given us. Uh, Lord, open our eyes to see what what those promises really are, that we would not deceive ourselves into thinking God has promised us something that he hasn't, but that we would see what He ha- what you have promised and what you have called us to, and that we would faithfully walk in obedience to that, trusting you for what comes. God, may you build your church on a foundation of truth, God, may you not allow us to stand in the way of that, but that you would use us for your purposes, for your glory, 
And God, that you would give us, help us to see the opportunities you send our way each day to live and speak the good news about Jesus. We trust you with these things and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.